Hey friends, we hope that this service blesses and inspires you. If you're interested in finding out any information about Olive Tree, um, our service times, our sites, life group signups, midweek connections, um, or where we serve in the city, if you want any of that kind of information, just head on over to our website. You can find it all really easily on there. We'll be going straight into a preach, and we hope that this blesses you as you listen today. Enjoy. Remain in me and I will remain in you. Just as a branch cannot bear fruit unless it remains in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Don't build your house on the sand. Build it on rock, a firm foundation. I am your foundation. I will give you rest. I will give you peace. Let my mystery draw you closer, and there you will find all you need for the hour. There you will find all you need for the day. Look to me and I will guide your every step. Turn to me, and I will show you how to live. To walk as I walked, to pray as I prayed, to love as I loved, to remain in me as I have and will remain in you're wondering um did we send our video team up to canada or something <clears throat> to shoot that it's just cloof um it's just what it's like up there <laughs> that's uh that's where the other half of our um of our churches and and that lady actually that you see in her home her name's caitlin she preached for the first time last sunday in cloof and did brilliantly we're just so proud of her it's exciting to see uh, gifts being added and expressing themselves in the church. Um, for me, happy Father's Day. I know we've said it a lot of times, but thank you to all of those palookas who don't have all the sort of natural, uh, instinctive stuff that moms have and yet push themselves to be selfless and nurturing and strong for other people. I uh, hope you have a wonderful day. My name is Paul, and uh, it's great to be with you, uh, all of you. <laughs> There's so many of you, um, but I'm sure there, there are millions of you online. The whole planet Earth could potentially be watching at this moment. There's no reason why not. Um, and so it's lovely to be with you this morning. And um, this sermon is the, well, if you ask me, I suppose, the kind of culmination or the, or the kind of crescendo of the series. We've been talking about how to remain with, remain with God with this lens of looking at Jesus like the disciples would have when they first laid eyes on him, when, the, when he first invited them to come and be his disciples, uh, what would they have learned from him? What would they have experienced living alongside him as being like? Um, and the reason we're doing that is because if you can understand your rabbi, <clears throat> you can learn how to be his disciple. Uh, and Jesus finishes by saying, well, you lot, my disciples, I want you to stay connected to me. I want you to remain in me, because apart from me, uh, you can do nothing. So that's what we're studying. And this um, final one, I think answers a question that, maybe it's only me that asks this question, but um, I don't know if you've ever looked at 
Christians and wondered why they aren't more different from ordinary people, given what they claim. Maybe all the rest of you haven't asked that question. I tend to be sort of deeply suspicious of Christians just as a rule. Um, but they, you know, they smile a lot, and it's like slightly strange. But the, um, the question kind of goes along these lines. Like they claim to have access to the God of the universe, and yet they kind of drive similarly to other people. They kind of stress similarly to other people. They kind of spend similarly to other people. They claim that the God of the universe doesn't just give them access to him, that he's actually at work on their hearts, but I've seen what they're like. <laughs> really? Um, he, he claims to be able to not only work on their hearts and mold them uh, and improve them, but then also to do amazing stuff on their behalf. He's forgiven them, so they should be the most gracious people. He's strengthened them. They should be the most strong, kind of confidence-inspiring people. They claim all this stuff, and I suppose I sometimes wonder, well, if that's that's really true, then a lot of Christians do seem surprisingly similar to me to your average common or garden human being. And as soon as I sort of wrote that, when I was, as soon as I, like, I know, and I'm sure you know, many Christians who are very inspiring to be around, where there are depths of wisdom, where there is depths of generosity, where there is a strength, where there is a certainty, where there is supernatural stuff around their lives. And many Christians do compare very favorably to, or certainly some of my mates, but that might just be because my mates are very sort of abnormally below average, the ones I play football with anyway. Um, but the question certainly bugs me when I look at my own life sometimes. Maybe that's the better way to phrase it. Like, given what I know of God, given what I've experienced, given what I claim to be true and know to be true, if you were to put me alongside a sort of similarly capable version of myself who didn't believe this stuff, how different would the two of us look? And um, I think that the answer to that question can be found in this major, and I mean major, practice that the disciples would have learned of Jesus. If I had to ask you what you think Jesus spent most of his time doing, what was the most sort of memorable thing, if you got to spend a couple weeks with Jesus, would you come away from it saying, well, the thing I noticed him doing most, the thing that struck me most, I suspect you would say, there might he prayed. I suspect that this is one of the most exciting things about Jesus' life. What was he doing the minute before he walked on water? What was he doing the minute before he died from all of mankind? What was he doing the minute before he answered the Pharisees with incredible wisdom? What was he doing the moment before he was able to see through all the confusions and care for the lady with the issue of blood who in the midst of a crowd. What was he doing the minute before any of the awesome things Jesus does? Praying, almost certainly. He spent loads of time in prayer. He seemed to love it. He seemed to do it in a way that was so radical and so fresh that the disciples couldn't help but record, you know, sort of eavesdropping on his prayers. And what did he pray and what did he say and how did he do it? And so we're gonna spend this Sunday having a think about prayer. Uh, many wise people, including uh, John the Apostle, say this is the only essential thing in your life. If you want to figure out how to enjoy your spirituality, if you want to figure out how to be connected to your God, if you want to live better, this is the key skill that will unlock all of that other potential in you, is figuring out how to enjoy and be satisfied and be connected when you're chatting to God, when you're communicating with Him. And now any disciple of any rabbi would have been paying a lot of attention to this. So we shouldn't say this is kind of unique to Jesus. 
any disciple would have done this. At one point, the disciples come to Jesus and say, well, will you teach us how to pray like John teaches his disciples how to pray? Okay, so any disciple would be interested to know, well, what does my, my rabbi pray? How does he pray it? Why does he pray the things he prays? So some rabbis would have spoken a lot about Moses, for example, and have prayed loads about, you know, in the context of Exodus. Um, other rabbis perhaps would have prayed loads about the sort of sacrificial system and would have had their prayers be a lot about that or about Father Abraham or about whatever. Um, and rabbis would not have only had their sort of the interesting content, but they would have prayed at various times. Going to make a big decision? There's certain prayers to pray. Going to go on a trip? Certain prayers to pray. Going to eat some food? Certain prayers to pray. Going to wash your hands before that meal? There's a prayer to pray then. Going to light a candle? Well, there's a prayer to say about that. Going to open a new wineskin of wine for the first time? Well, there's a prayer to pray about that. Different seasons of the year, harvest time, winter time, etc. There have been prayers that your rabbi would have taught you, and you'd have then known what he prayed. And if you were a good disciple, if you were interested to catch whatever cool mojo your rabbi had going on, then you wouldn't just learn the content, you would try to rack your brains to think, well, why does he pray the things he pray? What does, prays? What does he believe? What does he know that causes him to pray that specific prayer? And you'd have tried to learn how to pray it like him, use the same accent, the same pauses, etc. That's just part of being a disciple. That's part of learning how to be a rabbi. So Jesus' disciples would have done the same thing and would have agonized over, why did he say it like that? And why does he pray it then? And before we get into exactly how Jesus prayed, because there is some interesting stuff for us to discover there, I think it's probably worth us just first thinking about what prayer actually is. I don't want to assume we all believe we're talking about the same thing when we say that. So I've asked um, Ange, this nutcase in the front row, the two of us have been trying to figure out prayer for a while. Uh, and she's worked her way into some really cool, amazing, sort of wise insights on what prayer actually is, and really importantly, what it isn't. And so I'd like you to watch this clip of us chatting, uh, and we're chatting in the building that Kloof, the other side of our, our church where I come from, has just made an offer on and had that offer accepted. It will be our home in a few months' time. So it might look a little different once we've had a chance to paint it and take the pews out, but this, what you're about to see, is where Olive Kloof is going to meet uh, shortly. So enjoy this video. Um, Ange, welcome to Kloof and to Olive Tree Kloof's future home, our new building, which um, it's kind of ridiculous to be sitting in it, isn't it? it? Is. Because I know you and I have both prayed for this exact space for years, it seems. I know. It is so wonderful. I, I mean, just to actually physically see it, and it was so close to what we saw yeah. right at the beginning. Yeah, you had a prophetic which was years picture ago. of this almost exact shape. It's quite <laughs> remarkable and fitting because we're talking about prayer. Yes. Uh, and this is an answered prayer that we're sitting in. So, what is prayer, Ange? <laughs> I mean, that sounds like such a simple Dorf question, but actually I think you and I would both say the more you think about it, the more that's a pretty deep question. Yes, yes. So what do you think prayer is? So for me, I'm going to talk from a very personal perspective. For me, prayer is communion with communion with God or relationship with God. Okay. So it's talking to Him, walking with Him, um, being in relationship with Him. And there's depth to that. So it might seem like a simple question, what is prayer? Well, it's a list of my requests that I want God to commit to yeah. and deliver on. But I think it's a lot more than that. It's really yeah. about relationship. I like to think of prayer in terms of marriage. So even in the word, it speaks of 
um, Jesus being the groom and the bride being his church and we actually are his bride. So even if you're male or female, just take this as you want. Um, but in a marriage, there's, communi there's um, communication, there's relationship, there's depth of conversation mm. that happens. You don't just go to your your husband or your wife and say, oh, yes, my list of things, please please answer, please That's do really this, please deliver on this. And the deeper a relationship goes, the better those conversations become. Yeah, yeah. Well, those conversations become easier. They're almost answered without you having to really ask. Yeah. But the depth of the relationship is where you've got to actually be deliberate and intentional and communicate. You're already answering the second question I wanted to ask you, which is why would we pray? Because if you think prayer is just presenting requests, and there's a part of prayer that is obviously presenting yeah. requests to God, but if that's all you think prayer is, then it wouldn't take long before you ask yourself, well, then what's the point? Because God will do whatever He wants to do anyway. He's good anyway. Why would I ask Him? He already knows what I'm going to ask. You yeah. know, all those like weird sovereignty of God kind of conversations that we end up having. But if you're saying prayer is much more than just requests, then I guess, well, let me ask you, why do you pray? For you, why do you love it? Okay, so why do I pray? I definitely pray because I'm in relationship with God. I want intimacy with Him. I actually want to know what His thoughts are, what His ideas are, where's, where His heart's at. Um, I find God sees things so differently to the way I see things. So I'm so curious as to how He's seen a situation yeah. or the world versus the way I see it. And um, he, yeah, He kind of opens up my world like that. What an amazing opportunity to take any given moment in your life and actually have the opportunity to see it the way God sees it. Yeah. I've had these amazing experiences quite regularly recently where faced with a decision or I want a certain thing and then I take that part of my life to prayer mm. and eventually I'm able to allow God to show me what it is that was actually the motive of my heart, why it was that I wanted whatever I wanted or what I was fearing or what I was needing and then how he feels and that changes everything. It's so much easier to make good decisions when you've understood your own motives and when you've understood what God wants. Yeah, I think that is important. I think what the way you speak and there's a sense of humbling yourself. So I think that's also a part of prayer. If you're willing to humble yourself before God, yeah. he's going to speak to you. So yeah, that's huge. How else do you prepare yourself to pray or, or um, how do you do it? The first thing is praying from a place of victory. So in terms of that, I would encourage people to read the Word so that they know what victory in Jesus looks like. So there's no fear in Jesus, mm -hmm. there's only love. So pray in love. Um, and then the second thing would be, I often ask Jesus, how would you pray in this situation? Okay. Or how would you pray for this person? Even if it's for healing, ask Jesus, how would you pray for healing for this so person? So you're saying that you pray for a while to even figure out what to pray? Yeah, but it doesn't take long. It's yeah. literally, a, you're just asking Jesus one quick question, like, hmm. Jesus, how would you pray now? And I find he's very quick to answer. Okay. I think from, there's so many mysteries in God, but one of the things is that I think he's so quick to respond to us if we're just willing to make ourselves aware of Him, mm -hmm. yeah. Now, practically speaking, the 
um, I think we've both been having fun with some of the sort of ancient practices yeah. of prayer recently because those old geezers, they knew a few <laughs> things. Um, and the, I know that you like to go walking when you pray. Right? Yeah. What are you enjoying and, and maybe as a last word, sort of how do you use these practices? Often that's, I like to take a walk every day, sort of the end of my day. And initially, as I start walking, my head is filled with my stuff. Mm -hmm. And after five minutes, it gets very boring being in that place <laughs> on the little hamster wheel. Yeah. And what I find is I start talking to God as I'm walking. And then I start hearing His voice. And that's when I start exploring what His heart is for situations or for myself or for people or actually just what He wants to talk about. Sometimes God just wants to reveal mysteries to you. And so it's just having an open heart. But I find being engaged with something that you enjoy doing, like I enjoy going for a walk, God loves that mm. and He loves you to enjoy yourself. So it's, it's so easy to tie the two together when you relax doing something you enjoy and your brain's not fully engaged trying to yeah. um, follow this Netflix yeah, show or, or wipe out distractions yeah. because there's noises in the background. Yeah. It's so much easier to engage with God there. There's a lot there. Um, some of you, I think, might have already just got what you came here for, and that's fine. I'd love you to uh, let whatever it is that grabbed your attention in that conversation just sit, figure out what you're going to do about that. If it's something to do with finding those distraction-free moments or those activities that you can go through the process of, even those prayers we wrote for you in your Remain booklet, that the things you can say, just like those disciples would have learned from their rabbi, which can get you into that space where you're then able to go, well, actually, Jesus... How would you pray about this? And you have some chance of getting a sense of the way you'd pray and then all kinds of really amazing, really satisfying prayer can open up for you. But at the risk of distracting you from whatever it is that you just got out of that, I want to tell you another story about a lady who lived long ago. Um, and her name is Helen Keller. Some of you may have heard of Helen Keller. As, a, as an infant, 19 months old, she went blind and lost her hearing at the same time. Just imagine for a second trying to live in absolute darkness and absolute silence all day long every day. How confusing, how, how impenetrable the world must have even seemed. Just noises, well, no noises, I suppose, but sort of sensations going on around her and no way to make sense of them. And she was an infant, so, I mean, at 19 months old, the kid is barely able to think properly. And so it was only about the time she was seven years old that a tutor was found who could give Helen Keller some access to language, the ability to understand letters through Braille and then connect those letters into words and those words into ideas. What's fascinating about her story is that she went on to be this incredible writer and activist for the disabled community and a very wise woman who reflected on what happened for her. And I'm excited about this story because to me, the parallels with prayer are amazing. So try to, I mean, it's impossible to imagine, but try to give your imagination a chance here. You've felt heat, you've felt water, Helen Keller, reportedly was able to recognize by touch people's faces. But up until this moment at the age of seven, on one specific day, she had not yet had 
a word to use for any of these sensations? What difference might it make when you have a word? What difference does language actually make? Well, this is what she has to say. She says, the mystery of language was revealed to me, and I knew then that water meant the wonderful, cool something that was flowing over my hand. That living word awakened my soul, gave it light, joy, set it free. She would write at quite amazing length about how it's almost impossible to really think or reason. It's certainly impossible to have a relationship unless you have language. We're getting deep into the weeds of philosophy here, I know, but this metaphor is going to really help us. I want to read you one other thing she had to say. She says, I'm as deaf as I am blind, but the problems of deafness are deeper and more complex, if not more important, than those of blindness. Deafness is much worse for it means the loss of the most vital stimulus, the sound of the voice that brings language, which sets thoughts astir and keeps us in the intellectual company of man. There's another neuroscientist, Dr. Taylor, a lady more recently, great surname, she's worth listening to, um, who, who also had a sort of different experience and for a period lost language, lost the ability to hold thoughts together and give them names and then regained it and was able to say similar stuff. Without language, you can't even think properly. We just think language is a way of communicating information, don't we? You probably, if you haven't thought about it before, you think, well, whatever language you speak, the point of it is simply that I'm able to communicate some ideas to you and you can communicate them back to me, we can make a decision, whatever, and we can move on. But these people are teaching us, it's so much deeper than that. You can't even, and Helen Keller quite amazingly said, she didn't even have a sense of herself and the ability to reason and hold one idea and another idea together and make a sentence, that Dr. Uh, Taylor said you'd wake up in the morning and you'd, you'd sort of feel there's sun and you'd feel that it's bright and you'd have these sensations almost like an animal. But the ability to make any decisions about them was like almost impossible without being able to put a word to these ideas. It's fascinating to me, maybe not to you, but here's what's interesting. So remember what Helen Keller said when she got that first word, water. It gave her soul light and freedom and joy. That until she'd had that word, that way to connect this experience she was having and then interact with other people about it, she was just experiencing feelings, experiencing sensations, and had no way to do anything worthwhile with them. Now, for me, when I've not had a prayer life that's really working, I can tell you it's the same. At a spiritual level, you can experience things of God. If you've at any stage given your life to Jesus, you'll have had this sort of hard-to-describe experience of forgiveness. You'll sort of sense, I've been set free, I've been cleansed. I don't know how to describe it, but I've, some sensation has happened to me spiritually. Or perhaps you've been at a worship event. In fact, sometimes this happens even before you really trust God or know what he's about, but you have these experiences where you're at something like this and in worship or when someone's praying, a word just buzzes in your brain and you've got to say, I think it's my spirit. I don't even really know what that is, but my spirit is sort of resonating with what's going on here. Maybe you've had those experiences of deep joy or deep peace and you kind of just know you're in the presence of God, right? You've had something like that. Potentially, you've even been healed or you've had someone pray for you at some extent sort of moment and you've experienced the tingling and the maybe heat or just the closeness that sort of sixth sense hairs on the back of your neck thing where you're like, I think God is near me. Maybe you've had those experiences. But like Helen Keller, I believe, 
and it's certainly my experience, until I'm able to talk to God about that stuff, until I've developed the vocabulary of prayer, they're just experiences. They just happen to me, blow past me, I sort of understand them, not really sure. They don't allow me to connect with God much better. They happen and they're great while they happen and then they're gone just as fast as they came. And prayer in the spiritual sense is like language in the human physical sense, that without it there's, there's this kind of reactive way of living that lacks light and freedom and joy. And just like Helen Keller experienced those things when she was able to connect language to her experiences, I believe we're able to experience those things in a spiritual way when we can connect conversations with God, deep prayer times, to the spiritual realities we're, we're experiencing every day. I find that metaphor very exciting because as a disciple of Jesus, you'd have watched him praying and you'd have seen that he did some stuff similarly to other rabbis as I was describing. Pray for this moment, pray for that moment, pray for this moment, pray for that moment. Pray. Jesus often very deliberately, what well, it seems almost every day, got up early, prayed before the sun came up. He would, like any rabbi, have had proactive prayer time. When he didn't feel like it, he just did it. Probably prayed the same thing over and over. But they would have also watched Jesus having this reactive kind of instinct. He hears that his cousin and best friend, John the Baptist, has just been beheaded, and his instinct is immediately, I need to withdraw, I need to go be with my dad. Anytime something big is going on in Jesus' life, just over the last, last supper, Judas is headed off to do what he needs to do. Jesus knows what's coming. No one has to tell him it's time to go and pray. He has this instinct. He just reacts. I need to go and be with my dad. I need to go and reset. I need to go and reconnect. I've got to go to the place of prayer. And he expects that this could be the same for us, that you don't have to be told to pray. It's handy. It can be very helpful to have as part of your life times that you pray and things that you pray. But Jesus understood something which I would love to understand. He knew something that I would love to know, which caused him as a knee-jerk not to go, I just need to go for a run, or I just need to escape on some Netflix right now, or I just need to phone my mom. Like, those are all fine. There's a place for them. Or I just need to reach for a chocolate bar. That one's not so fine. Jesus' reflex was, I need to go and pray right now. I need to go be with my dad. And his disciples would have watched that and gone, oh, okay, that's what he thinks can be possible for us. And we're going to look at the moment when they said, okay, Jesus, just give us the 101 on how to pray. Just give us the prayer for dummies. And we're going to look at the most famous prayer that Jesus prayed. And it starts with this amazing line you've probably heard, our Father. We're going to look at it in detail, but just let that syllable drop for a moment. Our Father. Every other Jewish rabbi up until that stage, when they were speaking about a father, they were speaking about Abraham. They would have been talking about their nationhood, who they were. The idea of God as fathers in Scripture, but it wasn't popular until Jesus turned up, to actually talk about God, who up until that moment, it was basically criminal to even use his first name. He'd given his name, Yahweh, to the people. And it was this amazingly intimate act, but you dare not just talk about God. And then Jesus, in his prayer time, starts with Dad, Abba. Happy Father's Day, God. Let's chat. And the disciples must have had their jaws on the floor, seeing this intimate way that Jesus spoke to God. See, I think we see the proactive Jesus deliberately going and praying. We see the reactive thing. One of the things I suspect if you grabbed hold of any disciple and said, okay, so you've been with Jesus for the last few years. What does he pray like? 
my interpretation, my little way to remember this is I think as I've looked at all the prayers he's prayed, preparing for this, that there would have been two things they'd have said to you, all kind of connected to one idea. He seems to pray from relationship and he seems to pray for relationship. He prays for other things too, but those are so secondary you wouldn't believe it. Jesus seems to just want to be with his dad. And you don't get to say our father and follow that up with who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, unless you are convinced that you already have right standing with God. Think about that for a second. Our Father. There's a reason no one prayed like that up until now, because they all knew the second half of that line. Who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. He's holy, terrifyingly holy. So you don't get to just say his name, cruise in, put your feet up on the couch, go, hey, Dad, let's chat. Like, who do you think you are? And Jesus was able to say, Yeah, he is holy. I'm not downgrading God at all. I think he's just as glorious and terrifying, probably more so than you knew. And yet I can start every prayer with dad, our dad. So he prayed from epic relationship. Friends, if you think you can pray offhandedly to this glorious God without recognizing the massive sacrifice Jesus had to make to get you anywhere near him, you're not praying to the same God as Jesus. The only way you get to pray to this mighty, holy, incredible God is if you absolutely believe that somehow, by the grace of Jesus, you've been given access into his presence. And when you have that gospel lens on, that I don't deserve to be here, but I absolutely know I'm qualified to be here, you get to pray from relationship, and then you don't go there with a list, like Andrew's saying. See, Jesus came out of those prayer times with, for example, faith, praise, can walk on water. He prays and then comes out with purpose. Wonderful reason to pray. He comes out clear on who he is and what he's going to do. He comes out of those moments with direction, you know, route maps for what to do, difficult decision to make. You'd have come out of those prayer times with God's perspective, the heavenly lens, all those things that you kind of know you want to go to prayer for. But if you make those the reason I want to know what to do. I want to know how to think. I want to know what my purpose is. If you make that the conversation, just think about it as Ange discussed, like a marriage relationship, okay? So I'm married to Byrne. If the bulk of my conversations with Byrne were about instructions, I mean, that's okay for packing the dishwasher because I need instructions on that. But if most of the time I went to Byrne and said, look, just tell me what to do today, and she'd go, I'm so glad... Uh, you've chosen to meet with me this morning. Uh, here you go. This, then this, then this, then this. Do that, and then do that. And please don't do it like that, like you did yesterday and the day before. Like, if those were the kinds of conversations we had all day long, at best, they do nothing for our relationship. More likely, they erode our connection every time we do that. You know that. In fact, word to parents on a day like today, if most of my conversations with my kid are instructions, be careful and they are a lot of the time, I catch myself going, David, don't do this, do that, remember. I want to be able to get past instruction conversations to the proper stuff as much as possible. Because when I'm dishing out instructions, it's like we're distancing ourselves from one another. The point of intimate communication is not just to pass instructions. If I just go to burn for purpose, I want to know what I'm on this earth for. And I go to her and she says, well, I'm so glad you asked. I'm here to tell you that the purpose of your life is this and this and this. Again, it's like, basically condescending. If you go to any human being asking them what your purpose is on earth, you're distancing yourself from them. And you want to go beyond what should I be doing, what am I here for, 
to actually connecting with one another. If you're going to someone for direction or faith or any of those other things, Jesus' prayer life produced answers for him. Direction, where to go, what are you here for? As a secondary thing, the main goal was relationship. Let's be clear about that. The main goal was communicating for the sake of relationship. And as a final comment on that before we end looking at the, this famous prayer of Jesus, what does that kind of communication look like? My um, parents um, had the joy and privilege of watching me as an adolescent try to figure out how to do romantic relationships. Spectacularly. Um, <laughs> and I wish now that I had taken more of their advice a little sooner. Um, I'm sure none of you can resonate uh, with, <laughs> with that idea at all. What do they know? Ah, she's definitely the right one. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, the, the one thing I do remember them saying uh, is well, if you find yourself in a relationship and you find that most of what you speak about is just other people, don't kid yourself into thinking that's a deep relationship. It's not yet. That if all you find to talk about with this person is the news in other people's lives, if you don't feel able or free to talk about deeper stuff than that, you don't have a deep relationship. Don't call it that. Cool. And then, and then they describe even a level deeper than just talking about other people's news. And have you heard about so-and-so? And I think so-and-so. A level deeper than that might be talking about the kind of news cycle in your own life. This happened, then that happened. Remember this? So cool, talk, nice to talk about things, but again, not particularly deep. If your relationship can't get beyond that, then it's still not really that deep. Even if you get to sharing your opinions on stuff, that might seem quite deep, sharing your opinion on what happened here or that or my favorite this. Like, yeah, you're still digging. That's still not a deep relationship. If that's all your relationship can cope with, it's not particularly deep. It's not going to last very long. But if you can graduate past talking about other people, other things, your opinion about those things, to actually sharing with one another your needs. This is what I'm afraid of. This is what I'm hoping for. This is why it is I do this thing. This is what need is driving my struggles in that area or my excitement about this. If you're able to share that level of truth about yourself, which is very vulnerable, which you're often even yourself not very clear on, those kinds of conversations are when a relationship's gotten really deep. And so when Jesus invites us to talk to God, do we think God is going to be satisfied with us coming to him saying, I just need the, I just need the playbook, God. I just need to be told what to do. Oh, I, just, I just need some answers. Please, can you just do X and Y? Do you think the biggest, most intimate heart in the universe would be satisfied with that level of communication? Little wonder he goes quiet quite quickly. God, I just need to know what to do. Come on, God, just, I just need the next step on the sat-nav. Because that's not relationship. That's just instructions. And so he coaxes us closer to him to make the conversation about relationship. Let's finish with this prayer that you know very well. Our Father who art in heaven. So Jesus says, if you want to know how to pray, here, go and do this this afternoon. Firstly, stop with the big language, the fancy vocabulary, the standing up there letting everyone know. Just go quietly by yourself, turn your phone off in your room. Our Father. This struck me the other day. A lot of the time when I'm praying to God, it's about, or maybe it used to be, about other people and what they were doing to me or not doing for me or scaring me with or whatever. Whenever someone else comes up in your prayer life, it's very handy to start with our Father as opposed to my Father. 
because he's their dad too. You're busy praying to their dad, not just your dad. If you're busy praying, if, if someone's offended you, if you're struggling with someone, the best thing you can possibly do is pray about them. But remember you, who you're praying to, our Father. You know, David so often would start off in a cave somewhere writing a song. Oh, God, my enemies, oh, they suck so much. Why don't? And then he would end with, oh, yeah, you're their dad as well. You cause the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous, and you've got this under control. And I don't need to go off and kill them. I don't need to get you to kill them. I can actually trust that you're working in them just as you're working in me. You're part of something. When you pray, you immediately locate yourself as part of a bride, part of the global church, part of the children of God around the world. Our Father, ha, huh, okay, I'm not some lone ranger. It's not me against the world. And where is your Father? What level of stress does your Father have right now? How much attention has He got for you? Well, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. So He's our Dad. He is totally in control, and He is totally good and holy. That's probably already enough to stop you then praying about nine of the, out of the 10 things you wanted to pray to him about. I was stressed about this, confused about that, angry about this, feeling in, you know, like I'd been the victim of some injustice in this area, and then I go, oh, our Father who art in heaven. Oh, actually, what's on my list is quite a lot less than there was before. And then you get to spend some time talking about his kingdom coming and his will be done, being done. Ange talked about that humility of if I really want to connect with God, then part of what I'm accepting is that I'm now making his agenda the agenda. Have you ever been in a prayer meeting where someone is praying kind of to God, but mostly to someone else in the room? Have you noticed that really awkward thing that happens in church circles where, you know, so-and-so has done whatever they've done or, you know, or doesn't agree, and then this person's praying at this person, you know, but to God and kind of defending their point of view. When you're going to really enjoy prayer, it needs to get beyond that. Just like if you were really going to enjoy chatting to your spouse, it would need to get beyond a debate and actually get to connecting and letting their agenda become your agenda. And so God says, yeah, if you want to pray to me, if you want to really enjoy praying, then be prepared to spend some time talking about what my kingdom is actually like and what's actually on my agenda, what I'm actually interested in today. There's a line in one of the remain prayers that you get to pray at lunchtime, I think, the midday one, which talks about... Help me to understand what's actually going on in your story today, God. What a cool prayer to pray, because I think it's about this, and God actually might think something else is going on altogether. Okay, quick maths effort here, right? So the prayer's up behind me. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. As a proportion of this very short prayer, how much of it have we already covered before you first get to talk about what you need? We're halfway through. Half of your prayer life is not about what you need. The first and most important half of your prayer life has nothing to do with your set of requests that you turned up with, if you're going to enjoy it, if you're going to find it satisfying. All of us do it the other way around, don't we? We start, give us today our daily bread, forgive me for this, give me direction there, lead me here. These are all the things I've got going on. And then at the last minute, if there's time, quickly stick a worship song on and, yeah, God, you're very good. I know you have it under control. (laughs) And I suspect... Most of the stuff we pray at the beginning isn't a bit of a waste of time if we return things the other way around. Your father loves getting to chat to you. He's got infinite patience for you. I'm sure he's 
prefer you to do that than nothing at all. But when the disciples ask their rabbi, Jesus, how do you pray? He goes, well, you spend half the time connecting with God, reminding yourself who he is, that you are his, that all of us are his, that he is in control. You are setting, letting his agenda set the tone, reminding yourself what his kingdom is actually like. And then halfway through, if you have 10 minutes to pray, five minutes in, you're only ready to start going, okay, God, well, actually, there's this thing that I'm worried about, and there's this thing that I need, and I'd love some direction on this. And then we know a fair amount about how to do the back half. I won't go into as much detail on that stuff because you pray a lot about the things that you're worried about. But I'll just mention, give us this day our daily bread. Jesus would have, there's no question, been referring for his Jewish listeners to that moment in Exodus where God gives them bread only for that day. Can't store it. It's not going to be any good to you tomorrow. I'm just going to give you what you need today. Remember the story at all? They're in the wilderness. They've got no food. And every morning they wake up and there's bread for them, manna. And Jesus is saying, if you want to enjoy praying, don't waste your time praying for a nice, organized, controllable, clearly understandable 10-point plan that's going to ensure that at the third generation your kids are still fine. God's not keen to talk to you about that stuff because he's still looking forward to the conversations he'll be having with you tomorrow. He doesn't want to give you a reason not to chat to him tomorrow. So all he wants to talk to you about is how he's going to satisfy your needs right now. And as we said, like in a relationship, my needs might initially seem like I need my boss to listen to my ideas. But then if you're prepared to spend time with God, you recognize, oh, actually what I need is to be needed. And the reason I need that is because I'm not convinced of my value. I'm just using this as a hypothetical. Speaking for myself too much, I hope. And in the place of prayer, you're able to recognize the thing you actually need, which God can then give you in that moment, confidence, certainty that you're valuable to him. And suddenly, that thing you were praying about before, I really need them to choose my idea out of the various ones that got tended on, no longer matters so much. That's when prayer becomes addictive. That's when prayer becomes satisfying. When you go into that space and God shows you who you really are, who he really is, how he absolutely wants to meet your needs, but not before you've figured out what it is you really need, then he'll meet it. And then you come out of that place able to go like a hot knife through butter with your day, like Uncle T said earlier. I'm done. And all I want to leave you with is the, the invitation that there is, there's always going to be some season of your soul that you're tempted to go alone. Maybe you prefer to go alone when things get really hard, or maybe when things get really hard, you, you publicize your pain and you try and recruit as many people to sympathize with you as possible. That's fine. Perhaps when things are going really well, you're tempted to go a bit solo on that because you feel a bit embarrassed at your success when other people are struggling. Perhaps it's guilt when you've done something you're ashamed of and you're tempted to go into your man cave on that or the feminine version of whatever a man cave is. Every season of the soul is the perfect season of the soul to be going to God and expecting intimacy with him. Everyone. And so I just want to pray for you now as I'm hoping some of you are inspired to go and pray a lot and start to really enjoy it and recognize that you will find exactly what you need so that you don't have to live like a common or garden variety normal human being. Lord Jesus, thank you for making a way for us to get into the presence of God. 
nothing more wonderful has ever been given by anyone to anyone than you giving us away into the presence of God. Thank you that at every opportunity, I can, if I choose to, be with God. I get to go to Him for Him. I get to experience His heart, His perspective on me and my life and my world and on what He's actually up to in human history. What an incredible privilege. And so Jesus, I pray for every single one of these people in this room and every single one of them who's listening online or watching this, that you grab our attention and invite us into a deeper conversation right now and that you give us the faith to say yes and to accept that invitation. And if that means we start putting deliberate time aside, we'll do that. There's nothing more important. If that means we have to commit a few prayers to memory, we'll do that. There's nothing more important. If that means we have to delete some apps or turn them off at certain times of the day, we'll do that. There's nothing more important. We want to know what Jesus knew. We want to know what our rabbi knew, which caused him to just as a reflex go to time with you. Because there is no chance we're going to be able to live this life overflowing with joy and light and freedom until we figured out how to have these conversations with you, God, often. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Amen. Amen. Lovely to see you all. Lovely to be with you. Have a wonderful afternoon.